All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Beards for Radio. Asha. And I'm Joe. And we got, you know, Lions to stuff to get to, a little bit of business talk. And we got two movies to review, talk about Al Camino and Joker. But first off, let's start. Looks very exciting. Let's start off with Cardiac Kitties, man. Um, Geez, uh, I don't don't know what to do with this one. I don't know how to, you know, go about it. It's like the same old stuff I've been seeing the past 30 years. It's like you almost do the same routine you talk about the same stuff every time the refs screwed us the refs screwed us really i feel like it's a combination of both you know it's just uh, the, the refs just re- really didn't help it out you know what i'm saying beards for radio all right what i really want to talk about with the lions is the fact that, you know, we see it on Twitter, you know, the Lions fans saying, oh, this team is a couple plays away from being 5-0, and which is true. But you also see the quick responses of people saying they're also a couple plays away from being 0-5, which is also true. So the question is, is this team closer to being that 5-0 and team or that 0-5 team? Because they're 500 right now. I think they're closer to being that 0-5 team, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think their defense is, is as good as it shows. Like I said, man, I'm not big on their quarterbacks. You know, they're secondary. We saw what happened with uh, Keenan Allen and Phillip Rivers. <laughs> they they torched Slay. I and mean, he's supposed to be our stud. So I think they're more, more close to the 0-5 team. We haven't really seen the, like, impactful games from carry on. Uh, I think, I I think Stafford's looked for for the most part looks pretty looked pretty solid except for you know, the, the almost uh, giving up a pick six against Arizona, yeah. the, the dumb fumble he had. So like, I don't think they've they're all right. They're they're all you know they have everything together. Don't you know you know and that's that's just the lines them in a nutshell. They've never had everything together. You know what I'm saying so. I think they're yeah. way they're they're closer to that own five team, but you know um, I'm not surprised they've been playing good football. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I can't say that they haven't. They just haven't kicked it into that fourth gear, into that fourth quarter. You know what I'm saying? And like played until the whistle blows. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know what to take away from the Lions to be honest with you, because they're up and down, up and down. But I just don't think they're disciplined enough. That as well. You know what I'm saying? They're not disciplined enough. Um, I just, they, need, they need to play a whole lot better. You know, I was, oh, they just lost to, you know, Chiefs by a little bit. They only lost to one for the Packers. So there's still losses at that point, you know, so. Yeah, and I think their two wins, the Chargers and Eagles, have kind of been as good as they were looked at preseason. And you go back to that field game, and the Eagles receivers and tight ends had a lot of drops. And that game could have gone either way. Um, and then you, you fence, which I, I think has kind of inflated stats, the high amount of turnovers, but they can't stop quarterbacks when they need to, you know, once Kyler Murray got going in his first game, he was able against the Lions. Right. Patrick Mahomes was able to lead the chiefs down the field to score the game with Aaron Rodgers was able to do it too. Yes, there were. I mean, the, the egregious one. The Packers were going to score on that drop either way. Right. Flowers penalty. However, had had the drive stopped there and they don't get the penalty and Crosby makes the field goal, that does leave the Lions with say like forty-five seconds to. Potentially get a, a but do you, I think they're the zero and five team, the, the five and O's. and we keep seeing you know, what they are, and then you know the the fans can rely on oh, but the refs screwed us. Oh, but if if Patrick Mahomes doesn't make this play, it's it's the same old thing. They're just a couple from being good or great 
They're just a couple of plays away from being terrible. They're right in the middle. Yeah. Mediocre. Mediocrity. That's what this that's what cities that's what kind of football that I've been watching in the state of Michigan for the past few years. You know what I'm saying? You, you, yeah. you can say Michigan State, Michigan, and Lions. When your powers combined, you're just mediocre at this point. You know what I'm saying? And and it, and it is what it is. It's sad to say, but hey, man, it is what it is. It's it, what, what really annoys me too is that I think when it comes to these refs, I think it happens way too much for the Lions to kind of go uh, ignored. I think it, I, I think. To say that the Lions didn't affect that game would kind of, you know, I'd be lying. But I'm the type of person that where don't let yourself get into the position where the Lions, where the Lions, where the refs have to, you know, uh, or or can sway your victory to a loss. You get what I'm saying? Put yourself up in that position, you know? Yeah. And right. There were no calls of. City game that I thought were lines. You know, I thought they, I thought that was a pretty well called game. The Lions just lost fair and square. Right. And against the Packers, I can't guarantee that if those four play go the Lions went, not the Packers play. I'm talking about the two hands to the unnecessary roughness on uh, Tracy Walker, Joe uh, Allison, and then pass interference call on Green Bay. Even if plays or calls are reversed and do go the Lions' way, I still cannot guarantee that the Lions come away with a win. Because exactly. they have shown that they can do it in winning time when I'm on, on the road. Like, say the say the Lions do parents call and they well, drive end. What, with a 50-yard field goal attempt? Yeah, <laughs> with that. Right. How about this? How about how about we get all those penalties while Hawkinson catches that touchdown? If Hawkinson catches that touchdown, are we sitting here arguing about penalties? Uh, Flowers hands to the face. Yeah. Are we arguing about that because they got the win? You know, say just go out there, catch that ball, score a touchdown, uh, score in the red zone, and you don't have to worry about the refs uh, screwing you over. And if you number, know, if I, number I, ten for right. the Packers makes a fair catch. That's three points away from the Lions. If he catches the ball and it doesn't bounce off his face into the hands of Justin Coleman, no Lions. Those aren't things that Lions they were so great. That those were errors by the Yeah. Gift wrapped in their lap. You know what I'm saying? So I everyone's angst, you know, Detroit, the only place where the zebras kill the Lions. Ha ha ha. <laughs> we get it. You know, it happens, but don't ever let yourself get in a position where you let those guys dictate yeah. everything that you work for your whole life, your, the week, you know, the, up into this moment, everything that you work for. Don't let these dudes take it away from you, you know, establish dominance. And I just, we're just not seeing that, you know, and, and I understand it's the second year for Trisha, and I personally like to give three to four years to a coach, but, you know, it's not, to me, it's, it's like hardball over again, and it's scary. And I'm all for venting frustrations, especially with terrible refs. At some point, fans have to look themselves in the face and just be like, you know, wow, every time the Lions lose it, I hear cursing refs and hashtag Detroit versus everybody. It's like it gets played, man, where it loses its validity. Where a game like Monday night, where most of the nation can kind of agree, the Lions got gypped by, uh, by like three or four bad calls against them. But the Lions were blind fans were complaining about the same thing two weeks ago when they lost the game to Kansas. City. You know, they're still complaining about a game from like 2016. Like, you know, they're still complaining about uh, the playoff game in Dallas. Dallas. I really gripe with is the Cowboys and catch rule. Oh yeah, yeah. In the year, and they're on the road Chicago against a team that won the division, uh, you know, with Smoke and Jay, and they were a game away from the Super Bowl, and the rest took away a touchdown from Calvin Johnson that would have won the game. 
like that's that's the only thing that I really look at and I'm like that's straight up taking away the game winning touchdown. All the other ones, there are variables that would have gotten lionized even if or the screwingness did not go against the Lions. Right. Most definitely. And like while I was watching that game, Booger McFarlane was like going nuts. I don't see it. Where's that? Go nuts. You know, today I read an article about Desmond Howard saying that, like, these, uh, how he tweeted out they should be, the refs should be investigated. I mean, even Goodell came out and said it was tough to watch. So it, it, it obviously, officiating is, is horrible right now in the NFL. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's there. It's, I mean, the guys on the top, I mean, the commissioner is even saying it's bad. Okay, cool, fine. Then do something about it. Then do something about it because if exactly you know, you know if everyone's bitching about it and in in a in all the time it's going in and out just then do something about it. If but, you see it happening, stop apologizing and do something about it. Maybe if you start finding these refs, right? Like you find these players for not doing their jobs at the highest of standards. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you should start finding these refs or telling them, hey, you're not you, you're not going to be you know you get so many demerits or demotes or whatever. You're not going to be coaching in the big games and making the big checks. So I think it, it might be – it should be in, also incentive-based, you know? Yeah. And you know what? If this exact game was played on a Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock, I don't think anybody's talking about it. But this was the Monday night game. Right. Right. For for everybody to see the only, the only football game on that day. So, it, you know, in, in a way, it might be a godsend. For them, for everyone to see, like, man, maybe these Lions fans do, uh, you know, their gripes hold water somehow. You know what I'm right. saying? And maybe, and maybe it brought a little bit more attention to the bullcrap that sometimes we do go through. But in the end, we need to play better and not sit there and worry about what the refs are or aren't going to call, you know? If you can't finish drives and you can't come up with the stops you need to and you leave it in the refs' hands, you know what you get? Uh, Al, you get what you fucking deserve. Right, dude. Absolutely, and I, 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 it's just seeing the way that they let Green Bay's running backs run on them. I just do not see Delvin Cook slowing down against us. You know what I'm saying? I think it's gonna be a tough one Sunday against Minnesota. So, I mean, like we said, we said last one. Uh, Sunday's game or Monday's game was it was big. It was big to see what you know the Lions had, and I f- I felt like they were in the driver's seat for the better part of the game until the fourth quarter when they take the foot off the gas and play conservative and do what the Lions do. So um, it's gonna be a tough one against Minnesota, but I think uh, it's not like good for Lions, man. I don't you know I don't think we're even gonna start sniffing you know the butts of the dogs who are going into the playoffs at this point. Yeah, I think there are too many good teams in the NFC. Yeah. Well, the Pistons, um, I was watching a little bit of their um, 76ers game yesterday. Did you watch catch any of that? Uh, no, I didn't catch any of the preseason game. Yeah, the preseason games are all on the NBA League Pass. I don't honestly don't feel like purchasing it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. just going to wait because with my Xfinity app, I can watch all the regular season's games on the Fox Sports Detroit, which I'm going to end up doing anyway. But um, I went and watched uh, pretty much like all the scoring highlights. Someone made a, you know, I think it was a compilation video on uh, YouTube or something. So I watched a little bit of that. But um, a lot of people stood out to me. Um, Scoring-wise, I was uh, there that aren't the regular, you know, Kennard, Brown, Reggie. You know, I don't. You know, I've seen too much of those guys. I wanted to see some of the new guys, but um, I saw a little bit of Christian Woods. Um, he's not looking bad. He's kind of he's he's a I think he's like a power forward, but he's really uh, long. Kind of reminds me of like that uh, the other the other uh, player that got drafted by the Pelicans, Jackson. Jackson, I think it was, Yeah, he's kind of built like you know, very tall, yeah, strong, stronger than he looks. Don't mind him. He goes to the basket a lot. Um. Thon Maker, I'm really liking Thon Maker because he's. He, I think on the fact that the dude's like 23, 24, and he kind of reminds me of like, uh, like a poor man's KD. You know what I'm saying? He's like damn near seven foot. He can shoot. He can take it in the inside. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
And then Tony Snell, I think, is a pretty good addition for our bench. I like I like what I kind of saw out of him, his minutes. Uh, Derrick Rose, always love seeing Derrick Rose play, man. Always, I, I, I hope that dude, um, I, I hope he has a second breath in him, you know, and this is his, this is where he wants to kind of, you know, go back to the, go, go back to the, his MVP roots, I'm hoping, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And, it's, and then Sveen Mihailu, he was shooting pretty good, man. Um, he didn't, he, and he took it to the rack, got rejected twice pretty good, but at least took it to the rack and wasn't scared to take it to the rack against these big dudes. But he was shooting pretty good, man. But, um, other than those guys, I want to see more of Seku and I want to see more of Iso Joe. I know he's an older cat. We just signed him, but I, you know, I want to see what Iso Joe's about, you know, uh, and see how he's uh, fearing out of, out of coming from being what MVP in the big three league. So that's right. You know, uh, all in all, I, I didn't mind what I saw out of our um, out of our bench in our in our role players. It's um, it's an interesting makeup of the roster. Like you got a, a bunch of people who are entering the twilight of the careers, and then you got a bunch who are kind of before their prime, and then you got Andre, who is I don't know the most frustrating player in the NBA. Oh God. <laughs> But, yeah, what's the saying? Like, they got the 2010 All-Star team with Blake and D-Rose and Iso Joe. Right. You know, you, th- you think about it like that. It's, it's cool. But, you know, you think about it, that was nine years ago, buddy. So, yeah, you definitely think about it like that. But I, I, w- w- what you said about um, Andre bringing one of the most frustrated players because, dude, he's young. He – he, he'll get you your boards. He does that. He's like the last last of the big men, man. You know what I'm saying? Last of the Mohican. He's the last of the pure freaking big mans, dude. You know what I'm saying? And I just like I've always said it. I've said this, you know, when we were in school, Joe, he needs to work with a Kevin Garnett and Akeem. He yeah. needs to work with working on his footwork. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I, I love that he uh, raised his free throw percentage. I think it's freaking awesome. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. Go ask Shaq. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm glad that he did that. I just want to see more maturity out of him, and I hope I hope we get that out of him because you're right. He's so frustrating, but he is such a pivotal piece in the wheel, you know, that I hope Dwayne Casey can hone him in because sometimes, you know what I'm saying, he has fired him. Sometimes you just see he just gives up on the court. And I just want to see Casey kind of maybe turn that fire up in him, you know, turn that pilot light on yeah. and hot water going. So what are what are some reasonable expectations for the Pistons? Like we're talking 45 wins? I'm uh I'm I'm seeing uh, closer to like fifty, fifty five. Oh. I think I think they're going to be a seven or six seed in the uh, in, in the playoffs, man. I honestly believe that. I honestly do. I think I think uh, D Rose is more mature. He has you know he has a little kid in his life now. I think that's changed him. I think everything he's went through with his knee surgeries, his knee injuries, you know the whole like rape allegations with that lady and all that stuff. He beat all that stuff. And you know what I'm saying? It's a fresh start. You can have a, you know, you can breathe a sigh, uh, a sigh of relief. I've always liked D-Rose. You know, when, when when they gave him his own shoe and he broke down, he said, I, I was just a kid from Chicago, man. You know, this is this is beyond me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I think, always loved D-Rose. Always loved his demeanor. Always loved his, you know, his grind on the court and, and his gameplay and his style. And I think he's... I think everything he's gone through, man, it's kind of it's kind of like humbled the dude. You know what I'm saying? Like I was telling uh, my buddy before this, it's kind of like, you know, McNabb after his knee injuries, and he realized, man, maybe maybe I should play in the pocket. Maybe I should sit in the pocket and play the pocket and let my dude come yeah. instead of running everywhere and busting my knees up. You know what I'm saying? I think I think Rose is at that point where he's gonna play more point guard than score first point guard. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So. And so I think he's that'll be helpful either as the starter or coming off the bench. Uh, but I think it's important to remember, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And what is Blake going to be able to do on a nightly basis? Because last year was one of the best years he's had in his whole career. And really for right. a player exiting their prime, that's about as much as you can ask for 
from that type of player who used to rely on athleticism, but it's fading, you know, and he's scraping together like the last run. I don't know. I doubt he's going to be able to replicate that again. Well, yeah, hopefully having somebody like a D Rose or like even like if somebody young like Siku or um, who's the kid, Canard, uh, if someone if people like that can take a little bit more of a load, then, you know, you don't have to use Blake that much. This is true. And then, you know, I, like I said, I want to see more of Thon Maker because I think he has a lot, a lot of talent and a lot of, you know, you know unmolded talent but i think he's i think he can uh he can give uh blake a couple of uh minutes of rest too while he's at it so yeah but uh, all in all i'm looking forward to them i think it uh they have a great head coach at the helm you know what i'm saying i think i think it's going to be a different feel pistons than we saw out of old stan fan so um I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to it man so I, I do think they're going to be seven, six, seven seed, if not scratching at the door to get into. Get to on this one. That's pretty rare for us. Usually, we kind of do one movie, but these two came out so close to each other, and they're so unique in their own ways. And I want to start with El Camino, which came out on Friday, a Netflix special following Jesse Pinkman post. Uh, Walter White post the events of Breaking Bad. And I really liked it because it didn't try too hard. It didn't change anything from the Breaking Bad universe. You know, sometimes you get those sequels, excuse me, sometimes you get those sequels that try to take it a step further. This really solidified to me just the character of Jesse Pinkman and the differences between him and Walter White. Yeah, most definitely, because it kind of shows, you know, Je- we've all known that Jesse has a heart, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And I, I think it's it, it 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 really, you know, ever since that that one kid got killed for, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, he, he, saw, he, he saw the uh, the train heist. No, not that one. The one where he, he uh, the kid was uh, selling uh, drugs for. Uh, for Gus and he wanted the kid to stop selling drugs oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. They ended up killing the little kid instead of having him stop. So they killed that kid that messed him up. The train heist messed him up. The fact that Walter White got Brock sick by giving him Lily of the Valley, whatever, you know what I'm saying? And he figured it out. And so Ryson. Yeah. But yeah, it was the Ryson he put into Stevia for the chick, but it was the Lily of the Valley that grew in his backyard that he gave to Brock. You know, yeah. saying to get him sick, to get to get Jesse to be pissed off and do all that, whatever, whatever. But like, man, we all know that Jesse had the heart, right? But and then and then to see what actually he went through in captivity, that was kind of cool. I like the flashbacks. Um, Todd is a friggin' nut. That guy is one yeah. hell of an actor. One hell of an actor because he is a flipping nutbag. One like, of the nicest. You kind of liked him. You kind of liked him, but he was a nutbag, you know? But he's got his dead um, house cleaner, and you know, just in his room, and he's like, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't really want to talk about it. So you want some soup? You know? It's like... Right. Potato bacon? Like, Are you... Right. What, what's going on with you, guy? Like, like, yeah, dude. Yeah, you know, I just had to kill her because she found my money. You know, it's a shame, but Anyways, help me help me take care of the body. Yeah, that's a good right. point. Right, and I, and I liked how I liked how it was like when he flashed back. It was it was for a purpose. Why he flashed back? He flashed back to like like killing the the maid because she found the money in the books. Because later on he re hid the money because it was too easy to find it. So it was like every flashback, you know, totally came back full circle to what was going on at the present moment. You know, that's what I liked about uh, the way Gillen getting shot at as well. And then they gave him with the flashbacks. It gives you it gives you a purpose to bring back Heisenberg. So that was right. cool to see uh, Heisenberg, well, Heisenberg, Walter White come back, you know, even though it's flashbacks and, and you, stuff. you saw the uh, them having breakfast as in like a Denny's or something. It's 
before he's really full Heisenberg, you know, before he's, he's trying, when he's, when he is just trying to make enough money for his family to do well when he's gone. And he's right. trying to talk to Jesse, like, you know, he's still his teacher, like he's still an influence on him. Right. He, Jesse's still in like the science bitch, you know, yeah. phase of his character. But yeah. So like, you know, he, I think he cleans up, bro, and he's just like, you know, I need to get the f out of here, man. I need really, I, I should have, I should have, I should have hopped in the van in the first, the first time. Yeah, you know and you know, that's what really like strikes the difference to me between him and Walter White, because when Walter White shipped off to like Massachusetts or wherever, wherever he went, he was not happy at all. Like, you, you see the discontent on him, and he. He was so discontent that he called the police on himself and then made his way back to New Mexico. Whereas Jesse, you know, once he was gone, like he was looking forward to the fresh start and he was rolling with the new identity and the the backstory to his new self, you know, kind of like what we see from um, Saul when you get the, not the flashbacks, but, you know, at the start of every season of Better Call Saul, you see where he is as the, uh, Cinnabon yes. manager. Yes, I was going to bring that up. Keep going. Keep going. Go ahead. Yeah. So you see the difference between those two and somebody like Walter White, who admits at the end that he wasn't in it for the money. He did it because he wants to build an empire because this is what he's good at. This is where he's in control, you know, and he doesn't care who he brings along with him. Right. No, absolutely. And the Cinnabon thing, I think, uh, is really big if people like really like look into it because he even said when he was shredding his documents and like ripping money out of the wall, he's like, maybe if I'm lucky, I can get a job working as a manager in Cinnabon. (laughs) So it's like, so it's like we see that Saul is alive and maybe not doing well, but he's alive and kicking in the future after all that aftermath, you know what I'm saying? Because, I feel like that's after Walter. Walter White's dead. All that stuff happening. So Saul in the Cinnabon right now is probably is in the same timeline. Is the same time as Jesse is living in Alaska. Yeah. So will Jesse's Pinkman make an appearance on a few uh, on the next or a few next seasons of Saul because Saul has. I think it's coming back with season five or six. I think it's six. You know what I'm saying? And to be honest with you, I don't see Saul slowing down because I love Saul. You know what I'm saying? Good show, yeah. But I, if, think, I think Jesse but, is going to be – I think uh, Jesse's story. Like, he is content with just making it now. And, you know, he's – I think he's got a decent amount of money now because he went back and you saw he – you know, he used to be like – not scared to kill, but so reluctant to kill. You know, like when he held uh, Gil Benneker at gunpoint for like a few minutes before pulling the trigger. Yes. But when he's when he's with the uh, the welding guy. You know, Candy. Candy. Yeah. yeah. I knew he was gonna. Sh- I knew he was gonna shoot him with the other gun. I knew he was gonna shoot him with the revolver. I had, you know, to my wife, I was going to shoot him with the 38 that's in his yeah. other pocket. You know what I'm saying? And then it shows you when, when him and the other guy, like, are shooting at each other, damn near, like, five feet away from each other, like, that dude is missing. And then, like, Jesse's kind of missing. And then he kind of goes into, like, Mike Ehrman Trout training me mode. And, you know what I'm saying? And then blows his head off. So, like, yeah, most definitely. I think Jesse was definitely was like, I, he doesn't want to kill them, but. Bro, this is how it's going down. This is probably right. the only way I can fucking do this. This is so. what's standing between me and my ticket out. And right. I'm not going back. You know, he's not going back in the Right. But, like, I, I, I feel like it's not over for Jesse. I feel like there's still uh, there's still uh, opportunity out there. There's still stuff out there where he can come into the better call Saul, you know, phase of it all. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe it's, I don't know how, how they're going to go on from Saul from here because now it's Saul in the future. You know what I'm saying? It's Saul after all everything that goes down. So uh, is it going to be flashbacks? 
is is all the next season of Saul going to be flashbacks? You know, and then you go to present time. Is it going to bring back Jesse in the flashbacks and Eisenberg? Or, you know, what's going to happen? I think Vince Gilligan is very good with keeping it hush-hush. But I did read an article. He said that he said Heisenberg is dead. Yes, Walter White is dead. Yes, he's dead. So yep. Walter White can only come back in flashbacks at this point. Yeah. And there's a conversation I want to have on a future episode about uh, some fan theories that Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead take place in the same universe. Have you heard these theories? No, but I'm going to go read it after this and we'll uh, talk yeah. about it. We'll catch up on these things. Get into them. I was saying maybe we see Saul or, or Jesse Walking Dead or something like that. That'd be kind of crazy, though, man. But um, you know what? I've been I've been having no shows to watch, so I think I'm gonna get back into Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, because my wife has no interest in it. So I'm like, cool, that's a show I can watch when I'm not with you, no problem. So I think I'm gonna get it back into Fear the Walking Dead. But I've been watching Peaky Blinders, but that's another thing. Yeah, so that'd be cool. That'd be cool if we get into that, man. Uh, I've I've never heard that theory, Walking Dead and uh, Breaking Bad in the same. There's some interesting. There's some interesting points that are made. Um, okay, but I'm definitely going to read that now. We're going to get into it. Yeah, your videos to catch up on. But yeah, moving on to the next film. Unless we got anything else to uh, recap in El Camino. No, nothing. I think we pretty much touched it all, man. Yeah, I just got to say, Jesse's got some good friends like Skinny P and Badger. Badger. Really. They really helped the man out. I, I appreciate that for that, you know? Right. He's like, why are you doing this? He's like, bro, you're like my fucking hero, bro. He's <laughs> like, Jesse. And the, the whole thing is that he, he wanted that El Camino. He wanted to be Jesse Pinkman yeah. in that El Camino. That's it. But that was, you know, I like it. A lot of people didn't like it. I dug it. I think it was cool. I like you said, it didn't go over the top. They, they just kind of like, let you know what happened to Jesse after the fact. Because if, if Walter White really honestly did die, then what did Jesse do? Did he ride off into the sunset? You know, what did he actually do? So it's kind of cool to see what happened to Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on with The Joker. Moving on with The Joker, which was just a fantastic film. So well put together. The builds in, in just the most perfect way. Like, there's a point midway, or not midway, but towards the end of the movie where I just started thinking, this is perfect. Joaquin Phoenix is perfect. Like, everything is coming together perfectly. And one thing, we, we touched on this in our last episode, but what I really like about both this movie and El Camino is both, you know, camera shot. There, there's little to no special effects. Yes. But, you know, we follow the story of Arthur Fleck and, you know, I just don't know where to start. But to me, what what really left an impression was just like the domino effect of one small act in the beginning by a bunch of kids really did in domino effect lead to the revolution of, you know, the clowns rising up. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And like. And I and like not only that he got called in his office right and then he's like yeah well I'm taking this give the guy give the guy back his side he's like uh uh it got stolen and they yeah. broke it over my freaking body he's like he's like nah you he thinks you stole he's like why would I steal the guy's sign are you well, kidding me yeah. right you know what I'm saying and then and then you're right it just starts off from there just a yeah. slow snowball effect and just everything just gets gobbled up until the point where he just literally loses his mind dude and, and the best thing I, go ahead just the shock that comes at the biggest turning points you know when he kills people when he kills somebody the shock fact like you know he's going to kill somebody because we all know who the joker is you know it's like when we're watching spider-man far from home we know mysterio's not the hero we know he's the bad guy right we know what the joker is but they set up the kills from the Joker where the shock factor is real in every single kill. Right. And you know what that is? You know what the reason why? Is because there's no CGI. 
I just rhymed there. Yeah. You know, give me, give me a, give me a record deal. But no, <laughs> honestly, you know what I'm saying? Like, like to me, like I was telling people, like, you know, we've seen Robert De Niro and Jennifer Aniston and Scorsese come out uh, lately and say, you know, MCU isn't cinema. Get that crap out of here. Blah, blah, blah. Like this. Yeah, I understand what they're saying, but to a point, it's needed for certain movies. You know what I'm saying? Lord of the Rings yeah. needed. You know what I'm saying? MCU definitely needed. I mean, like, look at the when they did Pearl Harbor, you're not going to re you're not going to reenact Pearl Harbor the way a CGI can reenact it. No doubt. You know what I'm saying so I, I believe there is room for CGI in movies. Yeah. Marvel universe, the way Marvels are, you need CGI for Marvel to jump off the pages. We've said this before, right? For yeah. DC, for DC, it's that I, I forget the term you use. I love this so much. So you use a little bit ago. Is that like, like dismal? You know, yeah, it's just and like hopeless. Yeah, yeah, hopeless, and like that's what what makes people to me the normal average everyday human living in America. It makes them relate to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can you can only so much relate to a green dude. You know, that's the size of a building jumping everywhere. You can only relate to Vision so much. You know what I'm saying? And that's why everyone loves, to me, my favorite Batman is 89 Batman. Keaton's first yeah. Batman. You know what I'm saying? It had that, had that Disney, 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 DC comic book effect where it jumped off the pages. This Joker had that same feel to me. You know what I'm saying? It had that dismal, dreary, you know, running down that, that dirty alleyway, getting beat, you know what I'm saying, the way it's, he does. It's crazy that the audience can see a murderer and like a crazy person relate to him but they can because they see what messed him up you know his adoptive mother really messed him up and if she doesn't tell him that Thomas if she doesn't write to Thomas Wayne saying your son needs you you know he doesn't go to the Wayne Manor and fingers Bruce Wayne's mouth and he doesn't follow Thomas Wayne into the bathroom at the opera or at the silent film and then you know get punched in the face by Thomas Wayne right and then and then and then say his disdain for Thomas Wayne on uh the the Franklin show which ends up getting Thomas Wayne and his wife killed you right. know which saying? sets in motion Batman obviously right exactly so I love that feel to it most definitely. I love I loved every single angle. I like I like the slow mental state. Go ahead, Joe, take over. Oh yeah. Um yeah, the build was just perfect. And like I said, the domino effect, you know, it, it starts off with, you know, kids mug jump Arthur. Arthur's coworker gives him a gun. Arthur keeps the gun with him and he accidentally drops at a children's hospital fired so he's going home he's still in his clown makeup and he has the gun on him and there are those three uh wayne enterprises employees who are kind of you know being a bit rapey with the a girl like not full on but you can kind of see the start of it and they start beating him he accidentally shoots them and then purposefully shoots the last two and you know people take that as a rev a revolution and thomas wayne is coming out saying these people are clowns and i'm not i don't need to help these people how i can help these people is running for mayor um so you know that sets off the revolution to uh <laughs> like you know it leads to the fbi chasing him and him coming out on the show and trying saying he's not going to be political but at the same time he's He's done taking the crap from everybody and he doesn't kill the people at first, you know, he doesn't kill anybody who hasn't done him wrong. You know, he kills that big dude, but he lets the, the smaller clown go get away. Right. Because, because that dude was always nice to him and the other guy was just there to cover his own tracks with the right. gun and everything. You know what I'm saying? So like, and the whole fact that Zaza Beats was even like into him, they even talked to him. You know, what I'm saying he made that whole relationship up in his head. Yeah, which so was, that was even crazy. Yeah, which you know, kind of made you think like, what has been real? Because when he's on stage and he's doing his stand up, 
And, you know, he gets off to the rough start, but eventually you hear the people laughing, but it kind of cuts off his audio until you see the clips played by Murray Franklin while he's in the hospital. Right. And then he starts calling him a joke. This joker. This here. joker. Yeah. So, like, I, li- I like the way it was put together. I like the fact, like you said, it w- there's no CGI. It's kind of like, you know, like it was eye- eye-popping and groundbreaking for the fact that, like, I don't know why everyone was, like, saying people were walking out of it, this, that, and the third. And it's just like, uh, it wasn't that, like, bad. I don't think it was that bad. But, like you said, it, uh, like I said, it was groundbreaking for the point where, like you said, people can relate with Joker. <laughs> Because people can relate to working their butts off and not be able to get to where they're going, or 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 they had this dream and everybody just stomps and shits on it. So it's like, like you can relate with that. You can relate to with what he goes through, and when yeah. he loses it, it's just like, well, what did you people expect? What did you people expect when you push somebody to that point? You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, Walking Phoenix was masterful in it, dude. Absolutely yeah. masterful. I mean. You don't have to be a fan of comic books or DC to understand why this man lost his mind. You don't need to yeah. be a fan of it. You don't need to read one book. You, you, you don't even have to read see any other Batman Joker movies. If this was your first experience from Joker, I mean, like, he nailed it. He nailed yeah. it to me. And, you know, life was coming at him from all angles. Um. But another thing the movie really did well in, like, kind of tricking us, you know, one of the early scenes in the movies when he's watching Robert De Niro's show with his mom, and then, you know, he's in the crowd, and it's all kind of going too well. We all, everybody in the crowd knows that this is a dream he's having. Right. right? Like, I I saw the the movie with Mike, you know, who's been on our show a couple times. Uh, I've, you know, said to him, like, "This this is definitely a dream. Yeah, totally. But then we relate as he beats. We all thought that was real. Was sitting in her apartment, drenched in the rain. You know. Right, and she's like Arthur, and he looks around and gives her that like gunshot to the head, and yeah, like like how he built that whole mental relationship just off of that one act in the in elevator. The right. So I was like, I don't doubt that he stalked her for a day, but, you know, she definitely didn't come to his front door and be like, did you stalk me? And he definitely didn't go out and see his comedy and definitely didn't say, I think the Joker guy is a hero. Or I guess he wasn't the Joker at that point, but I think he's a hero. Right. And he definitely didn't come and kiss her and have sex with her. Right. Like that did not happen. But his just, you know, how like meek and like little he was and like, when he put on, when he, like, the whole time, like, you know, you know, when he's trying to, like, rip open his, like, clown shoe, you see how weak and little he is? But when he puts on the clown makeup, when he puts on the green hair, and he puts on that suit, dog, he looks powerful. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's, like, all how you hold yourself. And that, to me, is Joker in a nutshell, because Joker is that, that meek little dude who always got his ass beaten Batman would always beat his ass, but couldn't kill him because Joker had that trick up his sleeve. He had hostages, you know, falling from a skyscraper or something that, you know, it's either me or it's me, either me or the people, Bats, you know? So it's like, and, and you know, Bats is always going to keep the people safe. And yeah. if he has to throw Joker, you know, aside to do that, he's going to do that every time. And that's what makes Joker Joker. You know what I'm saying? So that's why, like, like, like when, like, Jared Leto's like I was reading he was like upset with uh, with the Joker I don't know if it was a satire piece or not but it was pretty funny but it's like you know you come on this big chiseled you you chiseled your cut Joker you have all these knives and guns around you it's like right it's not the Joker it's not the Joker that's a that's an insane clown posse fan he's a juggalo you know juggalo uh, juggalo Joker but yeah man he like he was like the he was perfect, you know what I'm saying? Like, like he's not going to beat anybody's ass, but obviously he can shoot and blow out somebody's blow off somebody's head. You know who can't do that? You know what I'm saying? The, a hundred pound chick can pull a trigger. You know, so it's just like I love the fact that he was just just 
you know, if, uh, later on, if Batman comes, Batman's going to whoop his ass and Joker's going to laugh the whole time while he's doing it. And then Joker's, he's going to have to leave Joker alive because Joker has plan A, B, and C up his butt somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and you're right. Like when he was in the full Joker getup and he had in mind and he did have the, the gun as up, you know, scrawny Arthur anymore and Joaquin Phoenix man he lost a ton of weight like there were points where um, you know my friend uh, a friend couldn't look at the screen because you could see like all of Joaquin Phoenix's bones while he's trying to break open his shoe right you know? or, or, or or when he was listening to Franklin make uh, not Franklin uh, he was listening to the TV about watching Thomas Wynn. His mom's like him. He's reaching back in his whole rib cage. Just like, damn, you're sticking out of yeah. his stomach. Dude, it was crazy. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. To me, yeah, after he killed the bigger clown and let the small one go away and was in his full getup, that's when I was just like, wow, this is perfect. Like, he's perfect. Everything building the movie was perfect. It's coming together and like you said isn't it beautiful right you know he wasn't he wasn't arthur like he still had some arthur characteristics like you know he's looking through his his joke book for the knock knock joke but he's also confident you know he's and he's talking to the policemen like you know he's not scared of them like like he knows he started this revolution of the people setting the streets ablaze right and 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 like i, I like the, the fact that like okay they got him at the they got him in the police car and they're taking him you're like how's he gonna get out of this man he, like he's not even like the joker yet like where are his henchmen where are all his people and then bam right here, here they are here gotham are the people is his been, people gotham is his people here are the people that have been downtrodden have been kicked, have been shit on, have been pissed on, have been stomped on. And they all got yeah, they called, are. called clowns by Thomas Wayne. Right. They're clowns. So, you know what, man? I mean, like, it's almost, it, you know, it, 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 it is a crazy revolution at that point. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, what happens now? You know what I'm saying? He, he's not in jail. He's probably in some underground hideout, mastermind planning what to do. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like, I want, you know, they, they said there, that there was that that Arkham scene at the end where, you know, he's laughing. The lady's like, "What's so funny?" And he's like, "You wouldn't get it." Um, oh, and then he walks away with blood all of his yeah, shoes. Yeah, getting around. Yeah. So it's like I want to know like what actually, you know, because if, if Patterson's. Batman isn't gonna cross, you know, paths with this one. I say you scrap. DC Warner Brothers needs to scrap everything they're doing, right? And and start it with this Joker scene. Like, Gal- bam, Gal- Gal- right here. Gal Gadot can be like um, Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine. You know, she can like cross the boundaries and the eras. You know, she can still be Wonder Woman. But yeah, I agree. Um, you know, scrap the Man of Steel saga. Scrap. You know, Batfleck, and when we first talked about this Joker movie, we were like, we knew that it wasn't, it was just going to be standalone. It wasn't going to start anything, and we were cool with that. But now, after the movie, we're here, and we can see, like, if DC was building from this foundation, it could be a lot different. Oh, most definitely. And you know what, Joe? I think, like, it was over... Eight weeks ago, we we said something about uh, eight months ago to eight months ago to a year where we've been talking about that this is going to be not your regular CGI movie. It's going to be something different, and you know what I'm saying it's pleasantly surprising. And and after all the accolades that this movie's getting, festivals, you know what I'm saying, where these people are giving it ten minute ten minute freaking standing ovations, this should make execs at Warner Brothers say, "Listen, we need to go this route." We need to yeah. go this dark, this whole route. And you know what the crazy thing is? With the whole Flash thing and how Ezra Miller stepped down, this is the route Ezra wanted to go. This is the Flashpoint dark DC route that he wanted to go. So you know what, DC? You know what, Warner Brothers? You call that man, you apologize, and you bring him back, and you reread his script. 
Because you know what? That's the way it needs to go because that's the way the regular average person that picks up a comic book, that watches Netflix, that goes to the movie on the weekends because they can't go on vacations like every other uh, rich smoke goes, they can relate with movies like Joker. And it, it really was like the Nolan Dark Knight trilogy because that one didn't rely on special effects. It relied on story and it did get away from the comic books quite a bit but when you tell your own story and you set it up and present it like christopher nolan and his team did i'm okay with that right so am i and like even this i mean it took it took from someone of his origins and especially me being you know you didn't have to do the whole fall nevada acid thing yeah. You know what I'm saying it's just gonna disfigure him. You know, what I'm saying he's crazy enough. I like the fact that they they did bring bring his origins of being a failed comic, uh, a comedian to the to the fold. You know, what I'm saying I like that too. So I mean, they they stuck enough to the canon and enough to his origin to make it just spectacular, in my opinion. So yeah, Sasha, I always thought this podcast was a sports podcast, but it turns out it's a movie podcast. Hey man, we, we dabble into everything. So, most definitely, dude. But yeah, um, I think that's a good ending place for this one. And on the next one, we'll probably catch you guys up on any Michigan or Michigan State we haven't been getting to. And like I said, we got some Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, AMC theories to break onto. So, I'm excited for that, man. Most definitely. And if you guys uh, missed out on some Michigan and Michigan State talk, tune into the Paul Bunyan cast. It's on the Anchor app. Also follow them on Facebook. If you guys want a little more uh, sports in your life, talking shoot, we're on the CRB radio app. Follow us on Facebook. We're everywhere, man. We're trying to take over the, uh, the, the podcast and the airwaves here. That's right. That's right. You... Anyways, uh, thanks for joining the the Beards for Radio podcast. As always, I'm Joe. And I'm Sasha. And that's life. And that's life. <laughs> <laughs>